Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from four very exciting countries all across of Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium, bonjour. Audrey. Hi from France. Alessio. Very excitedly, hello. And I'm your host, Fen. And today we're going to be looking at some of the finest games in their respective categories. We're going to start with the Kickstarter darling, Cora Quest, then take a mini delve into Mini Rogue, before moving on to ostentatious main topic, Obsession, before closing out with a brief artistic reflection of Canvas and its new expansion, Reflections. But first we'll start with the standee catch-up. Audrey, what have you been up to? Not really much, to be honest. Uh, with my husband, we played a few games of Gloomhaven uh, last weekend. We did uh, three scenarios. but We did twice one scenario to, to make it, and then another one. And I think on the board gaming side, that's all for me. I keep painting. Not really much to show these days, but stuff is happening. And I hover it in my airbrush just uh, an hour ago. I'm waiting till it rests to be able to finish my cars for Marvel Crisis Protocol. That's all for me. What about you, Alexis? Well, uh, on my side, board game-wise, uh, I've played... Well, not really board game, uh, more like tabletop games. I've played a game of um, Mothership recently. Uh, I am planning to, to play some uh, Ultraviolet Grassland soon. So that has been exciting. Uh, on the board game side, I played a lot of Core Quest, which we'll talk uh, soon. Um, and I was supposed to play a little bit more with my family. Unfortunately, my mother caught COVID, so we couldn't go there. So uh, maybe maybe next time. And uh, what about you, Alessio? Oh, well, not that much. I Let's see. I'm kind of on, uh, on a losing streak on... Uh, Res Arcana. I'm basically losing every game I play. I th I, I'm beginning to think I suck at the, at the game. But is it still your favorite game? Uh, it's one favorite? of my favorite card game, yes. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I'm down. I'm down uh, losing streak. So uh, at least I am on a de decent winning streak online on Concordia. So... That kind of balances stuff. Probably I'm not concentrated, I'm not focused enough on Res Arcana. So. And uh, uh, besides that, uh, well, I played kind of a lot of Cora Quest, meaning that it's only for weekends since it's for the kids, mostly. <laughs> but we will talk about that uh, soon enough. And uh, besides that, well, I'm waiting for a lot of Kickstarters to arrive. So um, he's betting is basically playing the waiting game uh, i won't say the names of the kickstarters because when this episode airs actually they will uh, be already in our hands so <laughs> it's probably that what about you fan well um i literally just this morning uh received uh delivered by my dog um uh, my my copy of tomo and izanagi from sankakushin I got a special numbered one. We'll post the picture. No, it's private. We will not post the picture. No, no. Uh, I will release the picture on my own stuff when I'm ready. Then we'll release the picture. Um, as, yes, but uh, <laughs> the dog took the box from the delivery lady and um, ran around with it a bit, but luckily nothing got damaged. She 
was very excited about it. Uh, I have... Ooh, I've been playing a fair bit of Marvel Champions because, you know, when you're tired of one boss battler, play a different one. Uh, it's really good. And uh, I'm now just waiting, still waiting for the rest of my final guild stuff to turn up. And, uh, well, apart from that, it's uh, it's been a lot of work involving wood here. You know, On top of finishing the cabinet, now it's been dealing with a load of firewood. Oh, I, I will try the wood chuck, uh, chucking wood. Uh, I, I don't know how it's called. T tongue uh, loosener. Like tongue twister. Well, yeah. It it became irrelevant after Monkey Island Two gave us the answer to that riddle, which is three kilograms. So the rest <laughs> of it is, it, it, yeah, it's a bit pointless. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's it's just been board games and uh, life as usual. Uh, we are mostly hiding out. I have had my third uh, COVID booster, um, and apart from being completely unable to use my left arm, it's been fine so far so that's basically it here the rest is all things well we'll be talking about in the podcast well yeah i, I barely survived it so uh let's move on now to uh well one, one of the darlings of the podcast uh here's alexis ready to lead the way into cora quest specifically alexis is one of the darling of the podcast <laughs> Because everyone is one darling of a podcast. I think that everybody knows about it, but I'm still going to uh, to remind people. CoraQuest is probably the most uh, wholesome, nicest Kickstarter out there. It's a tiny project from a father and his daughter to make a board game together. And I got to say, before we talk about the game, the entire project was just perfect. The game was small, cheap, wholesome. The communication was on point. They... Uh, very much kept to their deadlines. They did everything uh, well. It just went without a hitch while being a very cute story. Uh, I think that that just by itself, even if the game wasn't good, that would deserve to be to be pointed out. This was just a great project by itself. Yeah, yeah, I I I have to agree. I just I really want to agree and just say like, uh, for doing a first project, like. They kept it small, they kept it simple, they had most of the work already done on the game design before they went in. It, it just like 10 out of 10 on getting this done, it's completed really quickly and I'm super happy with the and, final And the, the whole fact that it was a family project is just perfect too. Yeah, yeah, it is. Exactly. The, that and, uh, and selling a game about kittens is just how you win the internet. It's very easy. <laughs> um, before we talk properly about the game itself, I just want to make very clear one little um, caveat. Uh, the game was aimed at a young public, so you might find enjoyment in it uh, as an adult, but it's primarily aimed at kids. So uh, you can see it as um, Adventure Time or Steven Universe or whichever show you like. Uh, they can be childish in nature. Adults can enjoy them, but it's important to know that... Um, Anything that I'll talk about is going to be... People don't die. <laughs> uh, no, that being said, CarQuest is an amazing game that fulfills its uh, given goal perfectly. It's a dungeon crawler inspired by AirQuest, Gloomhaven, uh, Gloomhaven or Descent, but with simplified mechanics. It managed to capture the essence of dungeon exploration games without getting too simple, but it remains 
tactical and engaging through a few smart additions that we'll go over in a moment. Uh, the way that the game plays in general is very uh, easy. It comes with 10 quests laid out in a quest book that details how to generate the dungeon deck, as well as a few events that will happen when you land on specific tile, uh, usually telling a specific story. Uh, on top of the losing and winning condition of the dungeon, the dungeon deck is written in a very storybook style. Um, the, the stories that happen feel very, uh, very much out of um, uh, some some kids' book. Uh, it's very it's very simple, very wholesome, very nice. Uh, the quests feel a little bit like a Saturday morning cartoon show. Uh, sometimes little events and mini games disrupt the normal dungeon rules. So how it plays is that you're going to have your dungeon deck, you start at the dungeon entrance, and as you play the game, you're going to turn up tile uh, from the dungeon deck and slowly explore the randomly generated dungeon um, with a few specific event tiles uh, set up to the, the deck that you know when they'll come and uh, find out the different little areas of the dungeon. It might be a bus, it might be a specific, tre uh, specific treasures track, tre uh, treasures tre treasure chest that was hard to say um a trap something like that uh you fight enemies with a very simple uh, dice system uh you roll a certain number of dice that are either a three six or a two six chance of hitting each time you you um you roll uh finding and using items or looking for those uh special event style um sometimes you'll find a bus that will have different effects of rules and that's about it for the straightforward stuff. Uh, but the game has three mechanics that I feel make it slightly more complex and interesting without losing its uh, kid friendliness. Uh, first of all, if you miss all of your attack roll, you flip your character's cards to a determinant style, uh, which grants you an extra dice of damage. It's a good way to mitigate uh, luck and frustration, and it's very welcome in a game aimed, aimed for kids because nobody wants to constantly roll uh, zeros and constantly miss your attack. Um, here, even if you uh, miss everything, you still get that little reward. Uh, on top of the dungeon deck, there's a marker. If you don't turn a tile over at the end of your turn, you move down uh, an urgency marker down a track. Once it reaches the bottom of the track, it spawns spiders into the dungeon. It's a good way to add a countdown to the game uh, without feeling it too arbitrary or time-limited. Uh, you can dispatch the spiders, but as the game goes on, you don't want to stay around in a dungeon for too long. And finally, each hero has a special power on a two-turn countdown. Uh, sometimes it uh, allows them to heal an ally, sometimes to avoid damage or to buff someone to their determined side. It's simple, but it adds a little bit of complexity that is very welcome in this game. And finally, the last thing I want to bring up before we uh, we open it to, to everybody, um, is that the game is fully customizable with a book that explains you how to balance things, unlike resources with graphics and patterns to use, as well as uh, blank cards coming into the game. So it's very easy to do. Uh, even your kids could, could do it with um, uh, with that book, but I doubt that we won't see a lot of um, fair and fun uh, fan-made quests and content for the game online. I think that this is very much a game that will have a, a pretty good community around it. 
Overall, CarQuest is a warm and fuzzy, wholesome game that I truly enjoyed and I would recommend to anybody with uh, kids that they want to initiate to board games and to something a little bit more uh, complex than whatever game um, is adapted to their age usually. Um, and I think that everybody here uh, that played it, I think that Audrey didn't yet. Nope, I haven't. Played with a kid. Yeah, I, I don't have kids around. Yeah, that's it. Unless my husband counts, which wouldn't be very nice, unless my kid counts, <laughs> but he can't check dice. So... Um, how did your kid like it, Alessio? Oh, uh, actually, he loved it. And I have to say, uh, after the first game, he wanted to go on the online character creator to create his own character. So that's... Uh, the, uh, I think that's the... the, the best measure of a, the success of a game when a small kid is so enthusiastic about it that he wants to create content for it. So uh, I, I think that uh, the, the, this game hit, hit all, all his goals, all, all, his mar all his marks uh, perfectly because uh, actually it, it makes you want to play again. If you are with your family, this game is really, as you said, wholesome. So uh, everyone wants to play again and uh, if you don't uh, don't succeed because it happened uh, you don't feel punished for it you just retry that there's an ending for you being unsuccessful and that's cool and uh, that's just for the sensation of the game uh, that how that's how the game feels but i, I have to say uh, you can see with a bit of an, uh, an analytical eye that uh, there's a lot of effort put to make the game modular. You see in treasure cards, you see in how characters and monsters are created. Uh, there are uh, not the widest array of choices, but everything is modular and you can combine it uh, any way you want and you like. So this game, I think its best quality is that you can make it your own, really. I think there's a lot of things competing for best quality in this. But it, it is good that you can customize it and they're so open to customizing and they go, here, here's assets, here's a place you can do it. Go nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and, and here's the exact rules on how to balance things. If, if for little kids, that's a very good way to give them a template and to allow them to do what they want with it yeah actually you you can see it one point of moment uh, equals two points or two hit points you can see how weapons swap range for dice effectiveness or strength you have given you are given uh, a chart of how weapon strength is done uh, actually uh, it is a work for kids but it's uh, uh, for very smart kids, <laughs> I I would I I don't want to offend kids. I love kids. Uh, anyway, there's more. This game does a lot of things right in its simplicity. I I wanted to compare it to two very recent games. Actually, uh, yeah, let's say recent. Hero Quest. Uh, take Hero Quest. <laughs> uh, it, it's not exactly recent, but it got a reprint. So you have a movement value and you can move and you can move freely also exploration is very simple and it has a way of pushing you forward that's done better than hero quest 
Given that HeroQuest is from, uh, what, the late 80s? 1989. Uh, I would hope that it's... Modern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Recent release, 1989 yeah, HeroQuest. Yeah, of course. Uh, anyway, after that, Warhammer Quest Carsed City, which is uh, actually pretty recent, had mostly a problem in the most basic uh, version of the mission you do, which is that you don't feel pushed to go forward. You can just take your time and eventually win everything on the basic mission. There are four kinds of mission in that game. And the way of pushing you, if you are not doing anything with spiders, the countdown mechanic is actually very, very smart. It works perfectly. And uh, since you are playing with a team and in your team there could be kids, it works perfectly with kids. It's uh, it's a real scare. It's great. While um, while, while playing that uh, the game, uh, I was thinking about Midra's way. Yeah, I was going to say that about the audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, uh, Coraquest somehow felt better than Midra because Midra sometimes I felt like I wouldn't want to to kill an enemy or to go too fast because otherwise it could leave for too many turns without getting to the exit. Uh, with Korra Quest, you have a pretty slack timer, and so the urgency is there, but you never feel like you might just lose the quest. Because in Midra, you just uh, you randomly lose the quest if you if the urgency yeah. timer gets too too slow. Uh, here, it's actually yeah. you fight more. Um, it's also. It also is kind of akin to. I know some people here don't want to hear much about that game, but uh, in Tainted Grail with the event deck, where <laughs> at the end you have a card that repeats itself every five, six uh, rotations, depending on the amount of player, that says, "Hey, you have to move." And um, as well, one other game which uh, was my first foray into modern game, let's say, um, which was Super Dungeon. Um, which has as well no no thing to to make you push forward in the previous version. So it's better to just grind at the, at the entrance. Yeah, you, you can grind on the first tile and you don't have any incentive to go forward. And yeah, I think that having something to, that makes you go forward is nice. Having something that's not black or white to make you move forward is even better. And also when you mentioned the customability of the game, I, f I think that's one thing that many, many, many dungeon crawlers miss. Because once you have the ties, you have the monsters, you have the statistics, you have the heroes. I mean, many people that play dungeon crawlers are role-playing uh, persons. So they can still imagine uh, a new universe, they can still imagine a quest, they can still imagine things to do, events. But the balance, having a guide for this balance, I think that's something very yeah, smart. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, also, the, the mechanic of spawning monsters is cool. I'll believe you on the spawning. <laughs> yeah, you, you flip the card, you already know where on the card the monsters go and basically what the monsters are. So you don't have to basically do anything. The game plays itself. Um, we talked about how an app makes a dungeon crawler easier because it keeps the bookkeeping for you this is the opposite approach you just don't have uh, to keep uh, nothing to uh, to annotate nothing and it manages to be fun fan did you did you play it yet i didn't i'm waiting until the nieces and nephews come to visit before we can play and of course because the they're swedish they also need to be a bit older because they're not all of them are confident in their english 
so that's it's more likely something we'll play a bit later on um but i did want to say uh that one of the biggest things is if you look at the side of the box you can see all of the children who sent in ideas and designs and everything and it's really cool that they've all been like given their first names stuck on the side of the box super sweet yes uh, also uh... so many of them are girls which just shows how much this game is like it's it's dungeon crawlers and killing monsters is for boys which is what the uh the attribute and the decision of the original hero quest was in all the characters were male the new one has female characters but this one no we've got wizard woman wizard woman i love it not a witch wizard not a wizard woman and sword girl who who's in a wheelchair like hell yeah give us characters yes. like that uh, and 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 my favorite by... My favourite. I haven't finished. By, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no interrupting till I talk about the character I want to play, Robo Kettle. I want to be a oh. kettle, a robot kettle. This is amazing. This is the best character in any dungeon crawler ever. There's either cat. I don't care about being a cat. I want to be a kettle. Hey, don't say I want about to. Cat. <laughs> I didn't. I said I don't want to be a cat. I didn't say the cat was bad. I said I wanted to be a kettle, a robotic <laughs> kettle. And we're gonna scold the heck out of all of you. Anyway, yeah. So I like how accessible. Like obviously a kettle, a robot, very non-binary. Love it. Uh, and uh, halfling with a catapult, super cute as well. Yeah. Uh, someone would argue that uh, a robot is absolutely binary. No, they're either <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're really not. You might as well argue that every human is binary because we use ones and zeros in the processing of our brain. Exactly. Yes. That um, was a bad programmer's joke. It was a very bad programmer I, joke. It was a very good programmer joke. Maybe we should cut it entirely and just leave me saying we should cut that terrible programmer joke. Don't cut anything. <laughs> we, we, we will just keep everything here. Uh, anyway, yes. I, I also got news from uh, from David uh, that played the game. Unfortunately, uh, he couldn't he couldn't be with us today. But uh, he played the game a bunch with his wife and his kid. Uh, his kid is a little bit too young for the game, so uh, David is asked to play a, a bit of a dungeon master game for handling some of the uh, more complex aspect. I think that his kid is four years old, so it's very young, but he still managed to enjoy and interact with the game. Um, and uh, he really likes it. He, he he enjoys it a lot, and he enjoys that you can play the game without having uh, any monster dying. Uh, you can like um, extrapolate the the dice roll as you're trying to convince a monster or to do a race against monster to try to um, uh, win them to your side. Basically, is how he, he explained it. Uh, and I think that's can you shoo it's them away? The... Shoo! <laughs> exactly. The, that makes uh, kettle robot even better. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to fight people. I'm going to serve them cups of tea, and they're going to be so satisfied that they immediately turn British and then uh, leave the dungeon <laughs> in a Brexit form. <laughs> um. So yeah, this this game I think is going to uh be really loved by the community in general. Um. I don't think that it's going to be uh, a hit with everybody, given its its uh, more child-friendly uh, approach. But I think that any uh, bold gamer that has kids uh, should get that game and just play it with them, because this is just a perfect uh, 
game to, to introduce player with. Uh, it's very tiny, it's very cheap, it's aimed at, uh, I, I would say that any kid between 6 and 14 uh, should engage with it like extremely well. Uh, older than 14, that might be a little bit too, it might be a bit too childish for them, but um, yeah, this this is just a, just a perfect Kickstarter and I think yeah. this needs to be uploaded. This is your gateway drug for your kids to get them hooked onto more and more excessive dungeon crawlers. <laughs> so they can get to grips with all the basic stuff. Yeah, um, good job. If you want to prepare the dungeon exploring team, that's where you start. Yes, yes. In addition to, uh, uh, like, you said it's really good and enjoyable. It's worth noting that currently with 253 ratings, it is an 8.7 on BoardGameGeek. Which means it's already Oof, ranking. Yeah. It's only ranking at three thousand six hundred and ninety-six because of the weighting system. But yeah, it, like I this should, is universally. I vote on that. Yes, if you own it, you really should get your rating on there. Yep. This is universally liked by the people who got it because they expected a thing and they got the thing they expected. Yeah, yeah I, I would say even got better than what I expected. Uh, this is just fulfilling every expectation that I had for it, and even a little bit more. Yeah, it's probably right better than expected in everything the box is smaller than expected and the materials are better than expected for the low cost and it's also getting published regularly and not through kickstarter again so uh, it is better on everything yeah exactly <laughs> uh, we, we will add a better clap on the <laughs> on the you editing. can't get a better clap i do you know how rarely i clap that is, I just, I don't even clap when I'm at a concert or in theatre or anything. Maybe like, so you can't get a better clap than that. I, I am on push to talk, so I cannot clap. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you, say... you, can, you can clap because Allah has it in your audio and I can just edit it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I clapped. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, this is, uh, to conclude, I think that this is just the perfect game to pick up and get on your table whenever you have the Vicantes and the local lord around when you have your afternoon tea. Uh, speaking of uh, having the Vicantes and the uh, count around to, to play some games... Uh, no, 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 I... no, 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 later, you, later. No, 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 no. Oh dear, you can't do the transition here because unfortunately <laughs> we're going from one but small bar... Go on then, Audrey, say it. This is a complete mess. This is what happens when you bring a child's game into the podcast. Everyone just, like, ah. degenerates and goes, ooh. Go on, Audrey. Say it. Ah, I just saw that you updated it. No, yes. I, I was just going to say that the, the kettle had something to say. I did. The robot kettle. Yeah. Let him speak. Let him speak. Yes, we're going from one small cardboard dungeon to an even tinier one because I want to take a rapid looting of Mini Rogue from Nuts Publishing. Before we move on, going to be only five minutes because, um, like, I got this last weekend and I have been obsessed with it. And I'm like, I need to talk about it because it's great. It's from, uh, as I said, Nuts Publishing is a French publisher, so you can get this in English or in French. Um, it is a card deck based one or two player dungeon crawler, primarily aimed at solo, but you can play it with a partner cooperatively. Um, you have a character that starts, you have a little board that tracks XP, health, gold, food, armor, and some potions. You have a dungeon made of 10 levels, and uh, each level is laid out of nine cards. 
from a random deck with one card representing a boss of each, like every other floor or so it is. It's a little bit more than that, but some floors will have a boss on them. Your goal is to get all the way through all the floors, get to the bottom and kill Og, or as I like to think of him, OG. Uh, he's a, I think an undead orc. He's got two very big swords. And this game is just so easy to learn, so easy to play and replay, and really quick. Like you'll just you start off in the top left corner of the of the three by three grid. You you deal with that room. It might say be a trap or some treasure or a monster that you'll fight, and then you flip up the two cards orthogonally adjacent, so one to the right and the one below, and you choose which direction to go in. So you get a bit of info. Uh, you're not entirely sure what's going to happen because it's randomized, but you get to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to fight a monster next door. Oh, I, I fancy going to this merchant, which is, um, it's super like nice to have that bit of input randomness where you look at the situation and go, well, I'm going to deal with this, or I'm a bit too badly injured to go face a, a random monster at this point. Um, I just, I got obsessed with it. I really did. Uh, I, I have one, I don't have two of the expansions, I almost said one, because one of the expansions does nothing except give you foil cards for the bosses and the treasure, and I kind of love it, I, I kind of love it, I got it, I replaced all of the bosses, and the treasure card, and the ghost with shiny foil ones, and I went, this feels really decadent, I like this, um, I don't. I wouldn't have bought it if I'd known it was just bling, but I didn't read when I ordered it. I was just like, ooh, I want to get a copy of Mini Rogue. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on. They've all got this one copy of this expansion left in. I'll pick that up and I'll find out what it's like when it arrives. When it arrived, I went, ooh, and then I read the rules on the back and I went, oh, it's just a cosmetic upgrade. Oh, well, it's kind of cool. I'm all right with that for once. Um, so it's fantastic it's it's got just enough strategy to be interesting it's it can play at different scaling difficulties it's quite hard you have to manage your food you want to try and hold on to gold you've got a nice mechanic where if you roll badly in combat you can do a feat which lets you re-roll one of your skill dice they're like character dice you get more and more of as you level up you start with one you go up to three um but it costs you either xp meaning you slow down your development or it costs you health and that can get to be, when you're like 10 health, you're like, oh, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just spend whatever. And then suddenly you're on three health and you're looking, you're going, this thing kills me in a single hit. So it's, it's got that nice balancing and it does feel like a roguelike in a box and playing it around 30 minutes. Love it. Absolutely love it. So yeah, on several levels, it makes me think to something close, but not uh, same as one deck dungeon. Yes. That's a big part of the reason I picked it up. The solo board game community been raving about it. I read a little bit and I went, this reminds me of One Deck Dungeon, but different enough. Uh, and it is quite different for One Deck Dungeon to play through. So it's like, it's it's, it's cool. And uh, it's it actually one to play. So, what? Yeah. So even better. Yeah, so this is from, um, as I said, Nuts Publishing. It's designed by Paolo Di Stefano and uh, Gabriel Gendron, who... Gabriel also did the artwork. I like the artwork. It's a lineless vector, like shape-based artwork. Uh, very good for the theming and the design. I have one complaint, which is the boards are single layer, and you can go to their website and buy double layer boards for 15 euros. 
please, if you do another release edition of this, just put those into the game. Because double layer boards, if you can do double layer boards, do love double layer boards. Because it's so much nicer looking, it's so much easier to operate. I would have paid an extra 10 euros on the price of this game uh, to get the double layer boards. And funnily enough, it seems like everyone agrees because I go to their website and that's they're sold out of the double layer mats. So, please. <laughs> That, that's it. I thought, like, since we talked about Core Quest and we talked about One Deck Dungeon previously, and I need to get that out of my head to maybe stop being obsessed with it, but I'm going to go play it a bit later today, I think. Uh, that's Mini Rogue. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend it. So, that done, and my little sales pitch cleared, it's time that we all clean up, we get dressed up, we check our manners. We remember what order to use the silverware. For the most part, it's the furthest outside inwards. Very simple. Uh, and we are going to go and embrace Dan Halligan's take on Victorian England with the main event of the podcast, the stupendous, marvellous obsession. So this is a one to four player, goes up to six players with the expansions. Uh, how to really, like... Give it, do it justice. It is a board game version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, you're the head of a respective, a respected but like down on their luck family estate in mid 19th century Victorian England in Derbyshire, Derbyshire. Um, your family has like had a terrible time, but uh, there's been a tragedy. These two young Fairchilds, their parents died crossing the Channel from France to England. Uh, ill weather took them. I shouldn't have. Yeah, uh, and uh, they've just recently moved to be in with their um, their spinster dowerage aunts in the Fairchild Mansion. And your family is like, hey, this is our opportunity. We've got a bit of money coming in now. We've got a little bit of an opportunity, uh, like a chance here. We can go for it. We could become respectable. And in essence, the goal for each player is to become the most respected house and family within Derbyshire, and win the hearts and affections of one of the two Fairchild children. It's a point salad Euro action selection game, I think, if I was going to boil the mechanics down. You start off with a small estate, usually five activities, and a bunch of servants, and maybe some bonus for your family, depending on some have more money, some maybe have a better reputation to start, but you get one unique bonus. And you'll have your four family members' cards in your hand. All you do on your turn is you pick an activity, you assign the relevant staff to that activity, servant, as long as they're available. If they're not available because they're tired and having a rest from working previously, tough luck, pick something else to do. Then you Choose the guests, the members of the gentry who are going to be doing this. The exact event can vary. So, for example, if you're playing whist, you're going to have to have female members of the gentry playing. But then if you're going like uh, duck hunting or fishing, then they're going to have to be male. Or sometimes, like you're having a big grand breakfast, they can be anyone. And you will, they, the guests that arrive will have certain requirements. They might need a valet or a lady's maid to attend to them. And then they'll give you rewards, typically money, reputation gains, or uh, more guests, the most common ones. And you can either get common guests, casual guests, who are like, eh, they're, they're, they're made up of a mix of down-on-their-luck aristocrats or moderately 
reasonable people or scandalous American heiresses. And then there's prestigious guests who they're the creme de la creme, but they require you to have a certain reputation before they'll even touch any of your uh, events and activities because they've and, no, 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 and I've done a lot of stuff. Yes, yes, they really do require looking after as well. Uh, and this all takes place over the course of one year. Through each season, you will learn what the Fairchilds are interested in, and the person who builds the highest number of victory points for that category of activity next season will have one of the Fairchilds visit. Very beneficial as they're both strong guests who give you good rewards, lots of reputation gains, and and so on for having them. Um, and and you will cycle through. You will pick activities to build with your paying your money for them, and gradually you'll you'll construct more and more of an engine to the, the ultimate goal is to do activities to have your your aristocratic gentry attend them and then they will give you more stuff and you can feed that bicket back in and at the end of the game the person with the highest points based on a mixture of guests activities reputation money milestones uh servants servants are worth points a big servant uh, pile is can be very advantageous in many ways uh wins um, I I can't I can't express how much I love this game. Like I'm gonna say it right now, the net remaining games I play this year are gonna have to be really good to get ahead of this one in the rankings for this year, because it is just oh I have one complaint, the same complaint everyone has. It kind of looks like ass, posh ass, but still <laughs> ass. Um, it's very clip arty. Uh, the the artwork is done by Dan himself. So it, it, it's fine. It's very clear. You can follow what everything is supposed to be doing. So the readability is amazing. I just like Ian O'Toole to get his hands on this and do it up because he adds so much to a game. I think I think a third edition with updated art and more or less keep everything else as is would be. Oh well, you know. I like the uh, guest cards. I do, yeah, they're fun, aren't they? I think that's the best part of the game, but the, the activity tiles, uh, for me, is the most lacking part. Oh, and the box cover. The... Oh, that's the Fairchild's ha- household. How dare you throw anything at the Fairchild's? <laughs> Who are you to say say what's wrong with their house? <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. Oh, about, <laughs> uh, about how much Fen likes the game... Uh, I think you can say they like it uh, five micro badges on BGG account. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that. You you call the game a point salad, and I kind of want to push back a little bit on that, because after having been playing only yeah, one game with, with you and Audrey, one thing that I really enjoyed is that compared to other games that I would uh, happily call uh, point salad... Castles of Burgundy... <coughs> <laughs> well, th- this one mostly just uh, rewards you for almost everything that you do into the game. So there's, well, there's definitely actions that are a lot more, uh, a lot better for your end game. Um, it rarely feels like you invest time and energy towards something that will not be rewarded. Like everything that you do will translate into victory points at the end, um, and it's always interesting to you you're always rewarded even if you uh, have a strategy that's a little bit different or that requires a little bit of involvement towards something else it's going to be counted towards the end and i think that's 
works really nicely and uh, it makes the game feel a lot less frustrating because with those games it's often annoying to walk out to get a good economy and then find out that oh well gold coins worth nothing at the end but if i had spent a little bit more time getting a butler engine it would work better um this is not how the game functions. Yeah, m maybe you're going yeah, to say otherwise, but uh, when we played the game and at the beginning, Fen uh, explained uh, the game, uh, at some point, uh, either I didn't remember if they explained how we score points, or either they didn't, I don't remember, but I had no idea how to win, actually, at some point, and I was just doing, oh, oh I, I, I could do this, oh, that's going to be fun, I'm doing it. Well, I knew that the tiles, for instance, they were the, the points, we had the points on the hands, uh, but I didn't remember, for instance, or uh, Fen didn't say that, uh, that the um, servants were scoring some points at the end, for instance. I did go through it, but uh, I, I read off... There was so many yeah. information. The, the, the thing is, is there was a lot of information, and what I was doing is what I do with this game, which is I sit down and I go, okay, these are the layout of the points, and there's a percentage mix of them. Most of them you get from gentry and activities. And then I just launch into, and now we'll start playing, and we learn by playing, because it's so easy to pick up how to do this. It's Yeah, really it, it definitely looks... It looks a lot more complicated than it is, uh, but it has a lot of depth, which is always uh, the best way to do things. Yeah. Easy to get in uh, very deep. It is. Uh, it, and um, I, I'm going to push back against myself a little bit as well, because I did say, as most <laughs> people say, that this game uh, is kind of not pretty. Some bits of it are really pretty. Uh, the... Uh, each of the families um, has their own box that all the starting stuff is put in. Those boxes are gorgeous. Oh. They're really like ostentatious and simple, very, uh, very prestigious. Um, and everything, all of the expansions, upstairs, downstairs, which made me chuckle when um, when when I read that name. That's an old British television show about servants. Um, my parents oh. talk about it so quite beloved uh and the wessex expansion and the useful box which includes the useful man who is really useful as he should be uh all fit in the main box so i literally have everything ever put in the box oh, that's really good and it's all there and i don't need any of the expansion boxes um which is fantastic briefly going to mention the expansions the wessex expansion gives you an extra family and a few extra buildings super easy to integrate to the game the box i imagine this extra family is the wessex uh, yes the wessexes i'm so smart yes. yes yes you nailed it 10 out of 10 fantastic um yeah they 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 get the bonus of starting with either a breakfast um hall or a tennis court so which is actually quite large a bonus and then the, in upstairs downstairs is the howard family who start with a cook and the upstairs downstairs gives you extra servants and i think in my opinion upstairs downstairs is a must have and the reason for that is the extra servants are the head boy the uh, head housemaid i think it is the um cook and the and then there's the useful man you get in the useful box and these four do a lot to smooth out things because sometimes when you play just core game you can get a little bit stuck with your servants not being flexible enough and then what the expansion does is it adds these slightly more flexible uh, servants who can improve your reputation the um, cook can like cook food 
uh, increasing reputation gains from the activity and allowing guests who normally would be like, oh, I'm not going there. Suddenly it's like, oh, Miss Mabel's do her wonderful mince pies. I think I will come along for a spot of shooting, <laughs> even though you lot are far beneath me, but for the pies, anything for the pies. Um, it, it's... I think that's a reference that I don't have. <laughs> no, it's just a made-up character. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just clicks together really nicely and just helps smooth out the engines for everyone. When we played, I just chucked all the expansions in from the start, and 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 I don't think it added too much in complexity, just in options. No. Yeah, I did. I didn't not. feel uh, the extra complexity, and now that you mentioned it, I did feel uh, the extra flexibility brought in by the uh, other servants. Yeah, uh, I, that's what I was going to say because the activities are randomized on how you get it. Um, uh, how you get them they're they're uh, picked uh, every every turn uh there's like a few more that happen every time that you bite some um sometimes you can feel a little bit tight because the only activities that you you can have are a bit too uh require a bit too much reputation or the right uh, the wrong kind of gentry for you but thanks to the the cook and like the the different servants you can easily go around that and i think that's a good way to mitigate those uh, those elements so yeah uh very well thought out uh, expansions uh, that, that just make the game a little bit more flexible. Yeah, uh, also, the, uh, in some places with the, the tiles, uh, the game made me think of when we played uh, between two cities and between uh, two castles. Yes. Uh, yeah. Even though it's not exactly the same, uh, the fact that. Uh, yeah, you have the tiles, you have the activities, you can do... Um, the fact that we had some objectives requiring some tiles, that's what made me think about it, and it was something that I really liked in the cities and castles. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really... You've reminded me, I didn't fully give justice to the activities, because not only do you uh, put them up and use the servants, once you've completed an activity, you'll flip it over. And on the back side, uh, it, it'll have a little rose to indicate that it's been used. If it shows the rose, you can't ever flip it back again. And then the activity might change a bit. Uh, in some cases, it becomes less valuable, like Whist becomes Casino. And Casino requires more players, but earns your estate less money directly. So it's nice that they all change that way. And even in some of the expansions, there's really cool ones that constantly flip back and forth. So you've got a little bit of a... Where do you leave it at the end of the game? Because some of them move from like being sporting to a state and back and forth, which is very cool. Um, and also, I, and some are worth so many mm, points once they're flipped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I liked I liked the uh, was it the queen's suite that you had it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I re I really like. Yeah, this you one. open it. Was it you you use it and then a, and a prestigious guest arrives and goes, I'm going to use this suite. And then it becomes like so and so stayed here, and it's a monument in your uh, in your grounds, and it's just worth X number of points at the end of the game. It's like yeah, something like six or yeah, it was worth oh. a lot, and you just yeah, <laughs> it's it's like um, and then I had a second one like that. Yeah, yeah, you did, you did. There's, yeah, it, it's a lot like. There's also yeah, yeah. Uh, hang on, I was just going to put a button on this yeah. one. It's a lot like in our conservatory, we have a uh, a, a bench padded bench that was slept on by a famous Swedish opera singer like in the 1920s uh, and it has a little memorial plaque on it to say that he slept here so 
that's what I kind of yeah seriously it's 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 a big deal it's a family heirloom and nobody really wanted it so we took it and <laughs> it's really cool the dog the dog loves it it's her favorite place um but yeah it's it, it's like that it's like those place heritage sites in the UK which have a little blue plaque that say so and so stayed here um or lived here for these periods and I like that I was like oh my god that's really cool that's actually something that happens and still is a thing in Britain where so-and-so stayed at this place and now it's super important prestigious so yeah I I come from where uh, very close to where the uh, writer French writer Stendhal I think uh, lived and there is the house of Stendhal and you can visit it and it's a bit uh, at some places it's done other places it isn't but here it's his house it's not taken inside another house um what I really liked too is that on the you said that the game uh, takes place over a year uh, with different events. I, I think that the different events on the timeline also add a lot of uh, strategy to the game because at one point there's the what is it like the national holiday? Yes. Uh, yes, can, national you holiday. Do, you can do any action regardless of your prestige, yeah, uh, reputation. I don't remember the, the exact time. Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you, could, you, could... you could have any guest at any uh, activity, regardless of the reputation requirements for that guest or the activity. So you, you can have reputation one Which... and have reputation six guests going to reputation five activities. Exactly. So you could really plan around those turns. You also have a turn that allows you to buy any number of buildings as long as you have the cash. So if you plan your turns right and you have everything lined up, you could get a really useful turn. Uh, on the early turn, you're also able to um, use your butler to, to prepare for the fair. And if you do that, you then get a, a bonus that, that triggers a couple of times during the game. There's a lot of little uh, elements that add complexity and, and tacticalness to the game without being too much to handle. Um, I, I think that it's a very uh, clever game. It is. I, 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 you're uh, glad so, you yeah, reminded me. Thank you for... Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, I'm glad you reminded me of the Village Fair because that's like one of those first decision points you make in the game because the um, planning the Village Fair tile is worth three points at the end of the game, which is a large amount for an activity tile that you start with. Um, if you flip it, then you get uh, reputation gains and um, extra money every single time the village fair happens, which is twice in the short game and three times in the long game, which is a 20-turn game. Um, and it's it's really like tight, you have to decide, because giving up those points can make all the difference. Even though the scores trend towards like 200 points by the end of the game, just those three can often be making or breaking and the number of times i've played this game and i've been like okay turn two i've got to remember to send the butler to the village fair and get this flipped <laughs> because i don't have any american heiresses like audrey did when we played i have no so idea I... what you're talking about <laughs> yeah that that's something we were going to talk about in a moment as well but uh, uh so so i'm like i must get it flipped because i need more money and then i send the butler to get more staff because i'm like oh i want some more staff for next season and then we reach the village fair and i look and i'm like once again, I got caught up doing a load of other things and I did not flip the village fair and I am broke and I am going to be broke for this entire game because that's what I do. 
yeah, uh, wonderful. Th that's the thing that I would say is the great strength of the game. It's that, yes, it's complex, as we said, but it's tight uh, enough and self-contained that it doesn't feel that way. And in fact, the complexity is more in the choices, I would say, than in what you can do. Yeah. Um, speaking of stuff you can do, sometimes, uh, like when you attract one of the Fairchilds to your estate at the end of a season, you get a victory point card. This is worth like three or four victory points, maybe four or five. Um, I don't have them in front of me right now. But also, any time during the game, you can instead flip one up and get a bonus that's listed on the card. You lose the points, but you can get a whole load of really useful things, like refreshing all your guests, which can be huge, because... We haven't even talked yeah, about the guests. Yeah, so one of the interesting things about the game is the flow of guests. As they go to activities, they get very tired and they join a discard pile and they refuse to leave it. They're just sat in there. You know, I mean, they, they've played some tennis. That's good enough for them for the whole season. They're now going to stare out of the window and mope over their beloved who has gone to war or something. Who knows? Maybe they'll mope over the local... Some of uh, them are going to steal your money. Yes, yes. Um, so eventually, you need to get them back. And to do that, you have to pass, which means you're effectively saying, I'm not doing an activity this turn. Now, in the base game, passing actually doesn't feel great. Um, you get like £200 and you can buy a building. And you also get all your guests back into hand and you get all of your servants ready in the refreshed area, good to go. But that's it. The nice thing the expansion did was it allowed you to hire, and you could hire, use your butler uh, to hire two staff. So that makes the pass turn so much more appealing because you go, oh cool! Not only do I get to pass uh, and I can like get all my guests back, but I still get to recruit some more staff. Yes, they're going to be exhausted and take two rounds before they're into the rotation, but that makes my turn feel more efficient or you can be like i've got more than enough staff uh these buildings are rubbish refresh them all and draw new build new new activities which i i when i play i'm usually very aggressive with my reputation i'll sacrifice my reputation for money or i'll sack it to refresh the builders market which discards all of the current activity tiles and puts new ones out and that is like essential if you have a, a, a victory point card that wants a specific room because if you don't go fishing for it, there's a lot of tiles in that game. And some of them don't even have duplicates. Some of them are one-offs. So, mm. uh, yeah, which reminds me again, the objective cards. How did you find the objective card system, guys? With the way you start with X amount and then you discard some and draw more and kind of try to hone your objective cards to, your, um, I, to match. I really like that you can multiple time prune uh, which one you want to keep, which one you, you think uh, are interesting. It's a bit annoying maybe that you can't see which activities are going to come into the game. Like if it was, uh, if they were all laid out and just popped in one at a time until the, the as the game continues, maybe it would may be easier to feel like, oh, the, the library is going to play, come into play at some point. I could try to, to buy it later. Um, the, the fact that it was all in um, in a random pile was just maybe a little bit frustrating because at one point I discarded a, a card that I could have done uh, if I knew it would come uh, come up later. But otherwise, I really like the fact that you can just prune them and kind of uh, 
make them correspond to the play that you're currently doing rather than have to adjust your play to fit those cards. Well, funnily enough, there are variants at the back of the book which uh, can solve that. And they provide different ways oh. that buildings hit play, or you can even have a non-deterministic um, view of it. So just as a few examples, one variant uh, has um, theme card... Oh, sorry, not the, the, here we are. Uh, each season, the builder's market refreshes at the start of the season. So that pr increases the turnover, making those rarer oh. things. Yeah. Or you can have one where the cheapest tile at every round is removed from the game. Nobody's bought it. Get rid of it. Slide everything down. See more built, small tiles. Oh, that's pretty so, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it kind of... They've also included ones to do with um, switching up the courtship. And a there's a, a non... De, sorry, a deterministic version for two players as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan's thought of all of this and been like, hey, you can tailor your building or courtship experience to fit what you want. Well, that's that's just to prove that uh, Obsession is a very well thought of game. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um, yeah. I had a question actually. Yep. Yeah, I, I had a question actually. Uh, how expensive is it? Because given the look and the size of it, I don't think that it ought to be uh, very expensive. 70 euros. Oh, that's a bit more than. What <laughs> I, 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 knew, I knew this answer. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 70 euros, and upstairs, downstairs is around 50 euros. The Wessex expansion's between 25 and. 30 euros the promotional tiles are uh, about 10 to 15 euros and the useful box if you can find it is about 10 euros so it's it's not cheap but it it comes with hand-stitched bags it's the the production quality is fantastic the as i said my only quibble okay. is not with the build or the design like the tiles are thick and nice it's just i'd like i'd like to see a new set of artwork that really makes this game sing as much as because obviously when you watch yeah. bbc or period dramas these gate these um shows are very visually like they have a certain aesthetic this captures a lot of it but i think i think it could have been a bit further yeah yeah definitely and it's uh that's a bit of a shame that it's uh how are the uh the activity tiles are they cardboard then like They're very thick cardboard thick cardboard yeah Very satisfying, uh, okay. well well printed on both sides and clear. I see. Well, regardless, it was uh, very fun to play, and I uh, I probably will try to to play it again at some point because I I truly enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. I'm going to be returning to it more times this year. I'm going to be showing it to the in-laws, one of whom is very excited because she loves uh, period dramas and the fact <laughs> that the game is so light and breezy to operate. Uh, it's already been described to her. She's like, I can't, I can't wait to have a go. This is going to be you know, very, yeah. very, very role-playing heavy. It's it's a game I would uh, happily replay, uh, but I wouldn't buy it. Oh, that's, that's the game where I would be happy if a friend had, and uh, if no one in my surroundings had it, I would shrug and okay. Yeah, I, I love it so much that I might ask my mother when she visits next um, to bring over a load of pound coins and two pound coins from the UK so oh. I can just change out the card oh. for real currency. <laughs> <laughs> take, take that money out of circulation. Yeah, so that. Uh, so that you're was going obsession. to make your board game even uh, more expensive. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to bling it out with the Queen's pounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Well, I think it's time. So we go on uh, and finish our wandering through the long gallery, admiring the paintings uh, and get into creating thought provoking masterpieces by numbers. So it's time for Alessio with canvas and canvas reflections. Yeah. Uh, in canvas, basically, you create masterpieces. You every player is a painter and uh, is competing in an art festival. Uh, this game is uh, uh, a very chilling experience uh, of creating art and uh, well uh, we'll see how to evaluate it it's actually a very cool game it's uh, the original canvas i think it was uh, between 2019-2020 it's by jeffrey chin and andrew nerger but uh, i think that a lot of praise has to be uh, paid to luan in and I hope uh, I pronounced the name correctly, who is the artist of the game and made so art so cool, which brings the game really to life in a, in a great way. But let's talk about the game. Basically, in Canvas you are a painter and you have to create three paintings. You begin by getting a big card, which is a background. You choose the background, they have no effect whatsoever except being pretty. And you put it into a big sleeve. Then there's, there's a central market of five cards in the base game. And there are, uh, uh, at the beginning of the game, you just decide four ways of scoring which are scoring cards drawn randomly or decided beforehand, which give you a way in which you can score each of four colored ribbons, which are uh, red, green, uh, blue and purple. Each ribbon is worth one victory point at the end and the cards give you the way uh, in which you score. Uh, after that, you have... Uh, uh, five cards at the center uh, of the central market which are all the same uh, they are our cards uh, which contain uh, a piece of illustration a part of a title of the card and uh, uh, colored swatches with symbols the symbols are the way you score uh, colored swatches can be repeated can be uh, the one over the other the cards are transparent except for the illustration the illustration can be everything at in every place you have little angels little devils uh, uh, streams of confetti uh, floating balloons people attached to balloons teddy bears uh, tea and kettle uh, piles of books uh, skulls uh, poisons uh, beverages uh, brides Actually, you have a lot of subjects uh, which uh, can bring you uh, can bring a, a, both an abstract or a very, very, very uh, literal painting to life. Uh, you can buy up to three of these cards for each painting, and then you just compose the painting by deciding the cards uh, by putting the cards over the background in the sleeve and composing it you'll end up with a, with a set of swatches below with a, with a set with a set of symbols 
which are compared through scoring uh, so that you can get the rebounds. And that's basically how you play. When everyone has done three paintings, the game ends. Uh, you just uh, collect, uh, count the ribbons. The silver ribbons, which are kind of special, are worth two points and have special scoring conditions. And uh, the, the player, the painter, with most ribbons wins. Now, uh, the game is very simple. The central market has a special uh, uh, mechanic, which is... Uh, pretty common to to, to to market games in general which is basically you can get the first card for free and uh, all the other card you pay a kind of currency which is inspiration in this game but they are basically money you uh, to get the second card you put one card one uh, inspiration token on the first card and then you take the second if you want to yeah can't you tell that he's a programmer it's like inspiration's basically money yeah <laughs> brilliant that, that, brilliant that's that's a great way to describe art yeah uh, actually programmers are kind of artists you know <laughs> yeah sure artists who who, who pu push coins in their head and put out <laughs> programs by your definition I, i'm trying to explain a game fan here help me yeah i know <laughs> i i know you're trying to explain a game which has centuries little uh, bidding mechanics for the market and has gloomhaven's transparent cards uh, it actually it actually works like it actually works like a market in uh, small world for the powers or for example uh, impact spamir for the cards you just pay for the card you don't want to choose, so people who get the, those cards get more inspiration and get to buy more stuff. Uh, the game is very simple, it plays very fast. I think five players, uh, which is the biggest player count, uh, is like 30 minutes. And the game is very fun because of what you can create. Uh, I don't know uh, how you are familiar with how much you are familiar with the game, but basically you can create stuff like I, I once created on a very, very dark background. I put on a bride in a full bridal dress and a bottle of poison uh, with a skull on top and confetti everywhere. It was called Sweet Celebration. It was a very, very abstract, a piece of art. <laughs> That's not abstract. That's that's like that's a metaphor. Really it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very very clear metaphor. <laughs> yeah. I uh I I gotta say like this game has that whimsical element that kind of Dixit and Mysterium have where people engage with the artwork and the layered cards is super cool because first time I encountered transparent cards was in Gloomhaven where you stick them on top of each other to like change the fates of your family members and it always felt a bit weird because you have them in hand some cards interact with the stuff you got in hand so people can always see what cards you've got in hand here the clear transparent layered cards you put three on top of each other ah yeah, chef's chef's kiss artist's kiss yes yeah. it's fantastic yeah actually the, the the idea is very smart and the, and the gimmick is very fun to play because you you, you are actually happy of creating just of just creating art you you really don't care if you win or lose because you create fun stuff you you can be you you, you can do something humorous you can try to genuinely create art you can just uh, compose something beautiful and that's uh, oh you can try to score 
yeah you can try to score of course but uh, i i'm told i'm a programmer because of that so we won't talk about uh, <laughs> currency scoring uh, and how you get points. You ju- beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. You want to be less of a programmer and more of a robo kettle. Uh, anyway, there's uh, there's uh, an expansion to that we, we which came out uh, recently. I, I think uh, we could call it uh, late it's, 2021. It's not really out yet. It's on distribution to backers because you've received yours and yeah. mine is still in transit. Okay, because I. I I thought mine was late so uh, it's still in distribution and it's reflections we which is uh, kind more of the same with another twist it adds two elements to the to the game which is moral cards of which you won't get enough uh, they are a curious inventive and even more fun and they can be mirrored like you buy a card and you can just flip it and they have the exact reverse of it with new art and a new definition. So uh, it adds a lot of depth to the game. Uh, you get a new mat, a new board for playing in which you ca- in which the central market uh, gets bigger because it gets uh, to eight cards instead of five. And uh, other than that, you have a new symbol, which is the gold medal. The gold medal is kind of the silver medal in for... Uh, because you have uh, a special way of scoring that medal but it's worth three points and it works only on adjacency uh, for swatches so that if you got for example in the central swatch which is the green one uh, it works only if you fulfill the condition on the two adjacent swatch which is the yellow and the blue one it adds a, a bit more of complexity. Of course, the game uh, still stays very simple, very fast, but uh, adds new layer of possible art you can create and uh, and fun you can have with people. Of course, this game comes with uh, uh, a kind of a non-scoring bot, which is uh, Vincent. <laughs> Actually, your friendly pla- your friendly painter w- w- doesn't score and. Uh, it uh, works as a bot player uh, which randomizes what you get and where you put inspiration tokens for two or solo player games and there's also a solo puzzle game which is kind of fun and entertaining so that's basically it this is canvas yeah it sounds really fun i I've not played it or heard it, uh, about it much, but it sounds really good, uh, especially since I really like Mysterium. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Fair. it's probably it's probably one game you would like if you like Mysterium. Uh, I, I say I, I'd say this is a good game. It's a lot of plastic, but it can be forgiven because it's all of the gimmick. I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think we have transparent cardboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we we could have, but it's very very expensive and it looks like us. So <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I have to say uh, it is kind of lacking in longevity unless you are a very creative person. So I'm a programmer. I am not like that. <laughs> I'll eventually get tired of this, but it's a very very cool game. Yeah, see, I disagree on that front. Uh, I think this has a fairly le- a fairly decent level of longevity because the point scoring system 
where you're trying to maximize each of the four categories for a given painting and the way that the icons cover each other up as you lay them down the bottom makes for quite a deep experience. This is a game that somebody can just play by slapping the layers together and going, look at me, I've played Endless Pleasure. Yeah. Ooh, look at it, isn't it pretty? And then gets zero points. I've played a game with somebody who scored five points across the entire game and he had the best time. He didn't care. And usually he gets a bit bummed <laughs> when he does badly in a board game. Um, like, but this time he was just like, you know what? I don't care. I had so much fun. Let's go again. And he scored about 10 points. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you don't great. care about points. That's the best I about do. this game. Yeah, of course. You, play, <laughs> but... you get past you get past the, ooh, these are pretty layer things. And you get on to like, how well can I score these? And then once you've got the icons lined up, you look at the painting after and go, oh, actually, that looks really cool as well. Nice. Yeah, I, I would be of the kind to look at the icons and then uh, put was my. Was it great uh, by any chance? Uh, uh what? Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Fen, uh, was it Greg that had a wonderful time? No, oh, Greg loves this game. Greg loves this game. Greg loves obsession. I, no, I, I, I can't even. Greg's really good at this game. Okay, okay. He, I, I can't just... imagine Greg just having a wonderful time despite having getting no points. Of course, no, no. Uh, Greg's Greg's super onto games like this. He plays um, uh, Mysterium a lot. Uh, he plays oh. Dixit a fair amount. Um, so this kind of thing he loves. He was originally going to back this, but uh, he's on a very limited income, so he couldn't. He had to cancel his pledge in the end, um, which is a shame. Uh, but he'll pick it up in the stores. He's just a bit sad because he misses out on the wooden tokens for the um, rosettes that you get. But I mean, they're just wooden tokens, so. Yeah. yeah, I would be the kind of person picking up cards based on the symbols for the points, and then put them uh, on top of each other. And oh, I miscalculated. Yeah, uh, th that's uh, a bit of a special of a special puzzle because you have to uh, sometimes you just uh, uh, go over a swatch with the symbol you wanted with another swatch, and you have no way of putting the other below because otherwise it will be. Uh, superimposed so that's actually the smart part of the game yes it's really challenging because it, we don't often think about puzzles where you're covering something up with the next layer and then you have to do another layer on top of that so it, you're actually having to think in three dimensions in order to put these layers together which is why i'm like this game has if you click with it a lot of longevity because there's a, a variety of different um like objectives can be dealt out and the new cards in reflections looks like it's going to add a whole ton more yeah. and a chance to play with it uh i i think considering this game is so easy to get into it's and very fast to play it's kind of nice um in that it reminds me in some ways of arboretum because oh, we actually played arboretum on the weekend and i forgot about that but arboretum's super easy to get into because on your turn you play a tree you draw like two cards you play one of them you discard a card and then as you start playing, you realize, actually, there's a load of strategy in here. It's not just making a nice, pretty grid of very lovely illustrated trees. This game is mean as heck. And even <laughs> Canvas is kind of mean. And I, I'm not sure how often you've experienced when you play and somebody picks up a card and you're just like, you swine. That was the only one I wanted. And, and then you're sat there waiting for the symbol to turn up again. And you have to just cut your losses because it's time to paint a painting because you've got five cards in hand and you can't pick up any more. Um, I, I really like this game a lot. Yeah, I, I have to say the game economy it kind of clicks because you have uh, 
not a lot of inspiration tokens to begin with, but uh, every player buying stuff makes uh, the currency circulate uh, uh, correctly. So it's it kind of clicks really it's a uh, oiled clockwork it works of course uh, i am be i am being a programmer again so i will just shut up um i think it's also worth mentioning that uh, and i'm just gonna you should google this uh, take a look but for those you've not seen it the expansion box and the main box are designed to look like paintings and they have mounting on the back to hang on your wall and the expansion actually continues the artwork on the core game box. So you could keep these in your games room on your wall when you're not playing with them. So not only are they a game and functionally a game, but they're also game art, which is yeah. just great. Yeah, it's so meta. Um, it is, although I will say one small piece of warning. Make sure that you get some like very good ways of fixing them to the wall, because if you have to put them on the wall above the dog's bed and then it falls off onto the dog, <laughs> she's not going to be very happy. And like I felt guilty for a week after that happened to her. Just theoretically speaking, right? No, it happened. It's no, hyper no hypothetical at all. Uh, Canvas has landed on Pam while she was asleep. <laughs> and and, and it's kind of heavy, you know. Support? Pardon, Audrey? Did Pam destroy the books or did... No! Or no not even no, pa sweet. Pa Pam, Pam knows, in fact, instinctively knows to not chew anything that she's not given permission to do. She's a very good girl. She's never chewed a piece of a board game. Uh, I don't think she even would, but I don't leave anything on the floor. No, she just got very scared and then had to be comforted for the whole night. Oh. Which was my job because I hung the painting and it fell. So yeah, I think that's Canvas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then with that note, um, or, or stroke of the brush, this is all we have time for in this episode. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standy, or as The Last Standy on Twitter, or on Board Game Geek. Uh, and until next time, we have been The Last Standy. So goodbye from Alexis. Uh, from Belgium. Au revoir. Alessio. Bye bye. Audrey. À la prochaine. Ooh, very nice. And myself. And remember that the <laughs> second E in standy is for etiquette.